0: What defines success? You know, there's no strategy in startups. It's all just getting stuff done. It's how you do it. So you don't need a strategy person, you just need people who are gonna do
1: it. What happens when you get knocked down?
0: I was turned down by so many people when we raised money. In fact, the number, I've raised a lot of money over time, but I've been turned down so many times. It reminds me of my high school dating career.
1: What makes some people radiate?
0: I walked into this meeting and I think, you know what, I'm actually giving you an opportunity. I'm giving you an opportunity to make 10 times your money, and if you turn it down, someone else is going to do it, and then you'll regret it. This is Radiate.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Radiate, the show where we interview some of the world's most successful people to find out how they work their way to the top. This week, Kevin Ryan, one of the best-known entrepreneurs in America, who's founded several successful companies, including Business Insider, Guilt Group, Zola, and MongoDB, He also built DoubleClick into a multi-billion dollar enterprise that was later acquired by Google. If you have any inkling of starting your own business, you'll want to listen closely to Kevin, because in this conversation, we discuss everything from how to pitch an investor like him to how to hire the right talent. Kevin also talks about what it was like to sell his latest company, Business Insider, for almost $450 million. Here we go. One thing that people say about you and your brand is you're a serial entrepreneur, right? I mean, you've built so many companies, DoubleClick, Guilt, Business Insider, which you just sold. So what is the secret? How do you do it? So the building blocks
0: of a company are really just three things. So you've got an idea, people, and money. So you need to simplify everything down. So obviously you have to start with an idea, and you've got to feel like it's a good idea. Then you have to build a team. And the team is actually really, really important um, because it leads to money. Uh, And those are the building blocks. So you've you've got to look at that team and think, what do I really need? Each team for me is different because I start businesses in different areas. And you think, what are those core skills? And you have to think of it like a sports team where if this were a football team, you'd know exactly what you need for a football team. And a basketball team would be different. So I think about what I need and I start building that up. And so... I put in the initial money in my situations, but for people who don't have that, they need to go raise angel financing, small amount of money. And then- What are we talking
1: about, like 500,000?
0: Maximum. I mean, there are many companies that are started with 100 or 200,000. That doesn't take you very far, but maybe it gives you enough runway that you can hire two programmers and you can bring two people on and and show results so that you can go to the next round. Mm -hmm. And you have to think of, this almost like a video game where you, know, you get to level one and you master it and then you go to level two and level three and not everyone gets to level three. Right. And so each one of these rounds is uh, a fancy round. And if you're building a big business, you're going to need a lot of capital. There are no internet businesses that are big that didn't take you know, $100 million worth of capital. Mm-hmm. And so you do that in various chunks. So I, I build that team out, uh, proof points, um, and then go out and raise money at the right time from the right people and keep going.
1: And how do you know an idea really is going to work? You never know. That's no
0: different, I think, than if you ask a film director, how do you know your film is going to be successful? Right. And even great film directors sometimes are right, and sometimes they're wrong. And it's a combination of maybe the idea wasn't good or the execution wasn't good.
1: Which is it most of the time, by execution. the way? Execution. Right?
0: It's all execution. Yes. Most, I think one of the mistakes that people make, in, in they, th- they think their idea is not groundbreaking. And by the way, most ideas are not groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Google idea was a terrible idea when you think about it. It was just a search engine. There already were seven. Theirs was a little bit better. That's it. It's not very compelling. Right. But It, it was, wasn't
1: that special.
0: It wasn't that special. It was a little bit better. But actually, search engines at the time worked pretty well. But Google's worked better. And so over time, you switched over, and it became a very successful
1: Well, I, I'm glad that you bring that up. So what do you think gave Google that edge? They just executed better? Yeah,
0: they had their idea, and the way of doing the search engine was a better way of doing it. And so the results, probably 10% of the time, were fundamentally better. 90% didn't change, uh, but 10% was. And that was enough since I had a choice to use that one, and everyone did the same thing over time.
1: I love that, Kevin, because I think most people get bogged down with the idea, right? They think, oh, it was a terrible idea, that's why it didn't work, or or it's not this fantastic blowout idea, so it's never going to work.
0: Most ideas, let's not forget, are not intergalactic travel which is blows your mind <laughs> right. most business ideas that are very successful are starting a new ad agency and you're very successful and you work for a big ag- agency and you realize that no one's doing healthcare, or no one's taking a uh, doing a good job with some big clients and you split off you take those clients you hire great people and you build up an agency over time or right you build up a modeling agency or you build up a service business a law firm so that's just execution and just people in the internet Anytime you have an idea, even if it's a good idea, you're going to launch it in four months. I'm going to look at your site and I'm going to think, you know what? I could do that. And I'm going to copy it if I think it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to sit there and think, you know what? Yeah, you're four months ahead of me. But as I sometimes say, if we were starting a marathon and I'm, I have a hundred yard head, uh, head start, no one's going to be intimidated by that. You're going to think, I can take him. He's 52. Right. We'll catch up to him. <laughs> he looks weak. Uh, And so you're not going to worry about that at all. And that's what I consider your four-month head start.
1: Hmm. And so, uh,
0: and guilt's a good example that when we, when I had the idea and launched five months later, I thought it was going to be the only player in the country doing that. And in the meantime, ideally launched even before I launched because they were already working on it, but I didn't know that. Rulala and Hot Look launched at the same time. So we had four of us at the same time. Now we're bigger than all of them. Because of execution, not because we launched earlier.
1: So you knew there were going to be competitors. You knew that. It's a given. I
0: assume. I Hopefully, it's going to be six months later. In okay. this case, it wasn't. I didn't have a six-month head start. Uh, sometimes I do. Like in Contour, which is a company I just uh, did the launch party for this week. No one else has done it. So I have easily a six-month head start. Zola, same thing. Uh, there were already other players out there, but I did it differently. So uh, you're, you're, but it, I always assume I'm going to have competitors.
1: So Kevin, take me through, since Business Insider is so fresh in our minds, because mm-hmm. you just sold the company yeah. for something like $450 million. Yeah. By the way, did you, did you ever think you would sell?
0: I was not planning com- on selling. I mean, I thought at some point, look, all companies get sold in the long term. Right. Um, I actually did not think it would get sold this early. I thought we would uh, go public at some point. And then someone would buy it.
1: Did you think that it would fetch this much money? You know,
0: early on, I didn't because there were no examples of successful media companies. So I thought it was a good idea that intellectually, I would love a lot and might be worth $100 million and wouldn't take a lot of capital. So that's okay. And then as we got into it and mobile hit and our execution was great and it got to be so big, all of a sudden I realized it was more valuable than I thought. Mm. And I actually think it will be five years from now worth a billion dollars.
1: Okay, let's see. Well, we'll see. Well, media is you know certainly uh, certainly a growing growing sector, uh, and particularly for you know for VC for you know yeah people especially with this whole mobile smart you know everyone's watching it on their smartphones. Um, but when you were starting Business Insider, mm-hmm. I mean, like nobody liked media companies, right?
0: Everyone hated the idea. I had a lot of trouble raising money.
1: Okay, um, how much did you raise initially? So
0: in the beginning we put in a couple hundred thousand dollars. Then we went out and had very small painful rounds of maybe 500,000 or a million dollars. Did an angel round which I don't like to do. Uh, then only after like 2 or 3 years was I able to raise a true VC round of 3 million dollars.
1: Did you ever at any point want to give up?
0: No. It was growing all along. So Okay. You know, I was only worried that we'd run out of money at some point. Okay. Um, because you just you, you need to fund it. It's like oxygen, you know. When you don't have it, you're dead.
1: Were you at any point willing to put your own money in there?
0: Yeah, I put money in the beginning, and uh, but you know, in retrospect, should have put more money in because it was uh, it was a very low valuation. So any money that someone put in five years ago, they made twenty times their money.
1: Wow! So in the end, can you say, Kevin, how much did you have of Business Insider in the end?
0: So we haven't disclosed that, but there was more dilution than we would like. But all three founders, you know, Henry Blodgett, Dwight Merriman, and I, you know, ended up doing well. So we're we right? So you're happy, obviously. Yeah. You know, we made. All, big, big return on our money.
1: Okay. So again, take me back to the beginning though. Everybody hated the idea. Yeah. And you still went ahead with it. Yeah. What made you go ahead with it?
0: Oh, because I, the fundamentals I thought were there. I, there was no doubt in my mind that people were going to be consuming all their media online over time. Uh, that's obvious now, uh, but not quite as obvious at the time. Still, Print was huge, still much bigger. Even today, print is still much bigger than, than online in terms of uh, subscription revenue and things. So you had to you had to assume that that was going to happen. And you had to assume that you could generate enough revenue in advertising dollars, which at the time was difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's, It wasn't a very attractive category. Advertisers are very slow to switch. They prefer to be on the Wall Street Journal than to be on Business Insider. So they would pay a huge premium there. And so we would get the scraps. It was hard to get journalists because good journalists – I had a guy, you know, from Business Week who just said, look, Kevin, I don't want to leave Business Week to come join you. I don't know what this is about. You could be out of business in two years. And so the irony, of course, is that two years later, Business Week was out of business. but sold for a dollar. I mean, if you hadn't purchased it, it was bankrupt. Yeah. And so the irony is that we became very valuable and Business Week, which he thought was a safe choice. But everyone felt that way. It wasn't a crazy thought.
1: Does that feel good, Kevin? Business Insider, in
0: some ways, is one of the more validating Uh, businesses that I've started because no one thought it was going to work, because we had so many competitors. I mean, the line I remember is, Kevin, there are 50 business sites in 2007. No one needs another one. And they didn't realize that we were going to offer something different than what they were doing. And they didn't realize that when you are online only, you have a fundamental advantage over anyone that has print. And what everyone in print thinks is, oh, I have this big advantage because I have an existing brand. Everyone knows me. And it actually is like having a weight around your neck. Um, and you're about to run a race with this enormous anchor. With an entourage. With an anchor. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. You know, is there a part of you, and I notice this sometimes with very successful people, is there a part of you that likes, you know, kind of being underestimated?
0: Yeah, it's, well, look, it's 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 very fun. Uh, it's Still better to not be underestimated because when people think it's going to work, it's easier to get money and people. And since those are two of my big building blocks, um, you know, I, we couldn't get people to leave the Wall Street Journal and come write for us. Today we can't.
1: But 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 I want to get back to Kevin, I won't let you escape that mm-hmm. question though. Is there a part of you though that likes being because I wonder if this is what drives entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, you like being in a way underestimated or or fighting the big guy.
0: Yes, right. I think it's more the latter. I don't think about underestimated, but yeah, it's look, it's so fun to to start something. To have this big Goliath there that everyone thinks is going to win, that's easy. People underestimate it. And so then to win over time is fantastic. I mean, Mm -hmm. look, I I was turned down by so many people when we raised money for DoubleClick in the beginning. Um, In fact, the number, I've raised a lot of money over time, but I've been turned down so many times. It reminds me of my high school dating career. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many, many no's. Uh, My high school (laughs) career had even fewer yeses, but at least... Raising money, I have a bunch of yeses as well.
1: You know, I think that's a big lesson for people. You know, what you just said, too, is that you have been rejected so many times. Yeah. And you do face these huge players when you're moving into this new market. Um, on the rejection side, mm-hmm. what do you do when you're rejected? What do you do when you lose, you know, that big deal or oh, you, you get turned down? Yeah, you
0: can't really take that personally. You know, you have to walk well, out of there. That's easy
1: to say, right? It's hard yeah, to do. But,
0: I mean, you're, you're not you're very happy about it. But if you still feel like fundamentally you're building something great, I walk into this meeting and I think, you know what? I'm actually giving you an opportunity. I'm giving you an opportunity to make 10 times your money. And if you turn it down, someone else is going to do it. And then you'll regret it. That's and- how you
1: go into every meeting. Yeah.
0: And I believe that. I wouldn't be raising money if I didn't believe that. Um, and, you know, that, and that's been true many times, you know, when I raised money for Mongo at a $10 million valuation only five years ago, and most people turned me down. And uh, today, you know, it's worth, the last round was at 1. $1.4, 1. $1.5 Wow. So everyone who turned me down regrets that.
1: If you were to put a number on it, what, is it 80% rejections, 20% acceptances, what would you oh, say? Oh, yeah, here? easily.
0: Yeah, because you, when you go out and meet, even in, when it goes well, if you go out to 10 or 12 VCs... You're obviously only going to get one at the end. You might have two or three that are interested. The reason it's hard to define rejection is that if I'm raising money, let's say, to a $50 million valuation, you might not completely reject it. You might say, that's too high a price for me. I'm good at thirty. I love your business. I want to invest. I just, that's just too expensive. Mm, I see. And then, look, sometimes you're right later on and sometimes you're wrong. Um, but you also have to think of this the way you would if you were playing baseball. And if, I, if, if you said, I just can't strike out ever – emotionally, then I would say you can't play baseball because the best player in the world probably strikes out one in every two times. And so don't play the game if you aren't willing to do that.
1: When we continue, Kevin gets even more direct, making some pretty serious accusations against Wall Street on price collusion. Hear why he thinks anyone running a company needs to watch out for these pitfalls. Radiate is brought to you by FreshBooks. If you're an entrepreneur or you have a business on the side, you need to know about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the super simple invoicing solution that lets you create and send professional-looking invoices in seconds. Companies that use FreshBooks get paid an average of five days faster. By creating something so intuitive, FreshBooks has transformed all those annoying, time-sucking duties that entrepreneurs hate. It makes it the easiest part of their day. And on top of making the business run more smoothly, FreshBooks makes things easier for the clients by giving them the ability to pay online. And if they're on the move, not to worry. FreshBooks has a mobile app that can keep up. You just use the camera on the phone to capture the receipts. And while you watch FreshBooks magically create the expense reports for you. All this and FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day trial to all Radiate listeners. So head over to freshbooks.com Radiate and enter Radiate in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's freshbooks.com Radiate. We got to the point of, of asking you a little bit about like, how do you start a business? Mm-hmm. So very key, right? Money and people yeah. being able to handle rejection and having, you know, knowing how to, how to stay with your vision. Yeah. So what about on the flip side? And you meet an entrepreneur, Kevin, mm-hmm. who wants to work with you or wants you to fund his or her business. Yeah. What impresses you?
0: So what impresses me is a track record of success. Now. Doesn't necessarily mean that they've started a company before because almost most entrepreneurs are first time, but I have to walk out of the room and think, can this person persuade other people to come work for them and, uh, and feel good about that. And because again, if you flip it around, they need to be able to get people and money. Right. And obviously assume we like the idea, but they have to get those two building blocks and, and because no one person can do everything. You can't be the best CFO, CTO, CMO, all those things. So you're probably good at one thing, you the, the founder, but you have to hire all these other people over time if it's going to be successful. So that management skill is really important.
1: And how do you judge that just from one meeting? Do you?
0: So first of all, your interview matters a little bit, but what matters, you can see you know things you've done in the past. If you come in and say, yeah, I worked at this job, but there were layoffs, I got let go, and then I went here, I joined a startup, it didn't work, and this, you know, there's not a lot of track record of success there. Right. So I'd rather yeah. have so you, you say, I uh, was working here, my boss moved to another company and then uh, hired me, uh, and I'm like, that's good that someone endorsed you. Um, a lot of it's gonna be references. I've said many times in interviews that interviews are less important than references. If I had a choice between interviewing you for a position, Or not even being able to meet you, but do a lot of reference checks. I'd rather do the reference checks.
1: You know, I hear that a lot from from CEOs and interviewers. Everyone
0: overvalues interviews. Interviews are a test of how you interview. Let me use another sports analogy. If we were trying to pick a good soccer player, how important is the interview? Not important at all. Right. He's going to say, yeah, I know how to score goals. (laughs) Like, great. Let's watch him play soccer. And then we'll get a sense of whether he's good. That's what matters. And so I want to know, and I, here I can't watch you in your meetings, right. but I can talk to people who worked with you. And all of us know when you were a manager level somewhere and you had six managers that were your peers, if I said to you, were they all the same, your peers? And you be like, no, I'd rather work with Mary because she's great to work with. And in a second I would work with her again. And, and Pete was a jerk and I don't want to work with him anymore or didn't work hard, or had mm-hmm. no attention to detail, all those things that you can't judge. How, how do you judge attention to detail you in an interview?
1: You can't. So, so then do you, so when you say references, you're not even talking about saying to the candidate, I want your references. You're talking right. about, thank you very much, you know, Susie, and then you go around and find people who know yeah. Susie, right? Is that what yes. it is? Okay.
0: That's really important. Okay. Now, there are certain things you can tell just on that, as we discussed earlier, if they've been doing well. If you were a, if you joined a company and were promoted four times, that's a, that's a pretty good reference, You know, someone thought you did a great job and kept thinking that. Mm. So I still want to know some elements of that, but that's a, that's a good start.
1: Okay. So, so you look, you look to see if the person basically has a vision, is able to bring other people onto his or her vision. Yeah. But when you, when you are meeting with them Mm -hmm. and, and, and they pitch you an idea, I mean, what are the do's and don'ts? Like, what do you tell entrepreneurs? Do this, don't do that. I
0: want them to be mostly focused on the idea and the product. Not, I don't want to be hearing about how we can sell this to someone for $50 million. That's someone that's mistake thinking, number one. Yeah. What they should be thinking is I have a clear product vision in my mind. This is going to be a great product. This is why it's better than what's out there. And, you know, you push on that. And so you should come away thinking, yeah, I see why this is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how I can execute it. Because startups, you know, there's no strategy in startups. It's all just getting stuff done. Because generally, you have a strategy like Business Insider. There's not a strategy, we're going to write business articles, we're covering things. It's how you do it, you know. So, you don't need a strategy person, you just need people who are going to do it. Mm-hmm. Or, if we're, or, if, or if it's a product like for Contour or for uh, Zola, it has to be this is what I'm going to build, and this is why it's going to be better than what's out there. I personally don't do a financial model, you don't, and I'm a former CFO and I have a CFA. Hmm. But I actually don't put a financial model together. We need to put one together once we raise outside money. But I don't think about that because the financial model early on just doesn't make any sense at all. You know.
1: You don't know enough.
0: You don't know enough. You you know, if you're starting a restaurant, you can put a model together. There's only one variable that matters, which is how many people are going to come to your restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so we need to focus all our time on that one or two key variables. I know that if your restaurant's full every night, you know, you can be an idiot and probably make money. But if your restaurant's empty, you can be brilliant at managing costs and you're not going to make money. So I want to focus on that issue is are, are, are the dogs going to like the dog food? Hmm. You know, are the readers going to like this? And so in Zola there, what I needed to have was not a financial model. I had to have a clear idea in my mind, a product vision. I know what this product's going to look like and I feel good about that and it's going to be different and better. And I felt that way for guilt. I felt that way for Business Insider. I felt that way for Zola.
1: So before we go, you know, I, I've been asking people this, and and for you, it it would be you know start again going back to the whole starting the company. But let's just let's just kind of repeat this a little bit, but but maybe have some more concrete. Like, tell me step one, two, and three for someone you know, for someone to start a company and, and I get the whole, you know, get mm-hmm. the money and, and find yeah. the people, but, but even let's drill down beyond yeah. that. Step, How do you even step, find step the people?
0: one though is locking down their idea. Okay. And so they have to have an idea and then they have to do work on that idea to, to make sure it works. And so obviously there's many different types of ideas, but they need to talk to customers, you know, potential customers. They need to understand all the competitive landscape, either the direct competitors or the substitutes. So if you're starting a new website, You know, how's it going to be different? What are people doing today? How are they solving that problem? And so they really understand that. And they understand that eventually there has to be a model behind this. So, you know, some ideas don't end up producing revenue. Uh, So you have to have a clear path to know if I am successful and people like my product, how do I monetize it over time? Mm
1: -hmm. So that's step number one, lock down your idea. Okay. What's step number two?
0: Step number two is then let's say you've made the decision that you've done this research and you're going to do it. Then you need to figure out, then you're, then you're starting the building phase and the building phase is, okay, what needs to happen right now? If it's an internet idea, someone's gonna have to build a website. And so then you're getting into the people right away. So you, by the way, you incorporate a business, which takes, you know, 20 minutes. So that's a non-issue. You've set up that, you have a set up a company. Then you need people. You need, uh, people. And to how do, the do work. you
1: find them? Just friends, people, you know, contacts. I so don't know.
0: I often start businesses for better or worse in areas I haven't worked before. So, you know, if it's a healthcare site or a journalism site, I've never done that before. So I don't have a deep network,
1: which is unusual to do that.
0: And most people would be starting something in an area they know, which is very sensible. Um, So then you think, okay, you need to have a concrete idea of who's this first person that needs to come work for you. So in some cases for me, it's an engineer. In some cases it's not. Let's say it's an engineer. What skill base do you need? It's gotta be someone who, you know, can build the website the way you want to if you've sketched out what you need. Um, and so you're going to go, so you think, where is that person working today? What's the comparable skill base? So uh, you know, this, maybe this person is working at a, another wedding registry site or a consumer site, let's say, that um, is aimed at women. That would be ideal. And so then, then you think, then I, I put a list of the 10 companies that I think this person is working at. And then I start going to find that person. And I think of how senior I want the person, So, you know, uh, for a healthcare company I'm starting right now, we need someone who's not quite a CTO level, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be, can build a website, uh, right now. And so they need to be working at a consumer site and they have experience using current tools. Um, and so we need to go out and find that person. And you cold call them, you email them. Friends of friends. So once I have a list, if you gave me the list of the 10 companies you think this person is working at right now, then I need to think, who do I know at those companies? If it's no one. Then I go ask people, do you know someone that works at this company? And you should be able to get there. Okay. Like if it was if, if like for the Business Insider, I started by saying I want someone who works at Fortune, Forbes, or Businessweek. I went out there and friends of friends introduced me to people. And I wanted someone who was probably going to be mid-level. My ideal person was someone who was going to be the editor-in-chief five to 10 years from now. Everyone's like, he, he or she is an up-and-comer. They're not there yet. They're mid-level. But, but then there's... how'd you
1: come upon Henry Blodgett?
0: So Henry was an unusual choice. It didn't fit my profile because I went and I, I interviewed like seven or eight people and I couldn't find the right person. There was no one I felt who understood that we need to do something different and had a, understood the vision. And so I basically struck out. Well, i have been doing it for about five weeks. Hadn't found the person. Hmm. I thought of Henry. Henry someone I knew. But it was not the model I was looking for because he wasn't traditionally a journalist, but he was a great writer, financially oriented, super smart, um, and had a blog that was great. And so I thought, let me try that and talk to him about it. And in two minutes, unlike my other conversations, he said, oh, my God, we should do this. This is a great idea. I totally get it. Hit it off. Hit it off you know, intellectually on the idea. And he said, we should do this. And I want to do it. And he said, I'll work for no money to get more stock um, because I'm so committed to this idea. And I thought, this could be great. And I knew at the time it was either going to be one of those sort of off-model ideas that's brilliant or a terrible idea. And in general, you never want to have a non-journalist managing journalists. In the same way that when you run a university, if you're not a PhD, people tend to not trust you. They're easy to say, he doesn't really understand what we're going through.
1: But this worked somehow. But this
0: worked, and it turned out that Henry was actually a natural journalist. That really is his calling; it is who he is, and people forget now he's been doing it for so much longer than he was ever on Wall Street. Mm. So this is what he was made to do, and I think Henry will be a journalist. You know, fifteen years from now.
1: And by the way, we didn't get into this, but I mean, he did not have the best of reputations. In he was, some he ways, was yes, in some ways,
0: not. No, I mean, I, I, you, what you're referring to is on Wall Street in terms of the analysts, but yeah. that actually didn't bother me at all because I saw what I, I dealt with all the internet analysts, and I know he was not doing anything different than every single other. He just analyst. got caught. He got caught, and ironically, I would argue that the reason he got into trouble is because he had angst over what everyone was doing and wrote an email saying, you know why are you why are you why am I being forced to recommend this stock that I don't think is any good? Uh, the other investment bank the other people didn't do that. they just recommended it, even though they hated it. I had people coming in to me as a publicly traded CEO saying, basically we'll write anything you want as long as we get the investment banking business. every single one of those companies did that.
1: He just happened to have a conscience about it.
0: yes, and Merrill Lynch threw him under the bus uh, so uh, but no, he was doing nothing different. That was structural and by the way. No time did anyone suggest he was doing something that his bosses were not aware of every single step of the way. As you know, nothing gets written by a Wall Street analyst without two levels of people approving every single thing. Why Henry got into trouble for that and not the boss who said, great idea, and the council as well, I don't know.
1: By the way, I mean, I, I think people look at that and they see Henry's career and how it got revived by mm-hmm. Business Insider, and they say, you know, there is room for a second ax. I mean, you can do something, which, I mean, you know... Let's be truthful here. It was it was still yeah. wrong what he did, yeah. but you can have a second act and you can come back, right? And I think yeah. that's important for people. And I still
0: think it's wrong what the investment banks were doing. Yeah. Um, and he was one of the many people part of that, but he didn't invent anything, didn't create anything. There was a structural problem there. You know, I could argue there's many structural problems in investment banks. You know, when when a bank takes you public and gets paid by the person buying your shares, the incentive structure is all wrong. No one seems to think that's illegal. Uh, when I went out to take a company public and I go to five different investment banks and ask them, what, what is your, uh, how do you get paid on this? And the first one says, I take a 7% share. And the second one, 7%, third one, 7%. And I ask all of them, how about six and a half percent? And not a single one will go to six and a half percent. That's what I would call price fixing. Mm-hmm. Collusion. Yeah. Now, um, you know, so is that legal? All of them are doing it. So I don't, I think Henry's in the same category as all those things that are accepted practices on Wall Street until they get changed at some point. Right. Um, so I actually don't hold Henry responsible for those things. Uh, and I think, and he's done an incredible job of his insider and has been fantastic to, to work with.
1: Okay, so so get the right people. And the third final thing, Kevin, is what?
0: So you, ha- you have the people, um, and then it's all execution because you have to manage them, have them work together and build the right product. So somewhere there, you're going to be building something and creating it. So, and- People have to work together. So someone is marketing and someone is coding and someone's creating the product and someone is adding up the money and all those things have to work together. And I've seen teams that are poorly managed and there's infighting and there's a lack of trust and that's just management skill that, you know, people have to do that. And we've all seen teams that work great, whether the sports teams or companies, and we've seen ones that didn't work well mm-hmm. and that's management. That there's no one formula for that, but there has to be trust uh there has to be cooperation um there has to be decision making you may there are difficult decisions like after three months you might decide that this guy right here is very corrosive and even though you hired him he's not the right person
1: to let him go you need to
0: let him go and some people don't have the confidence to do that
1: so are you i mean what kind of manager are you like how would you describe yourself how do you get people on board your vision what would people say about kevin
0: so you'd have to ask them, but I think, you know, you, you have to be laying out a clear vision and clear priorities and keep the focus on that. You can't be wavering back and forth. Okay. Um, so hopefully, but, but on the other hand, you know, th- this, is, this is where it's very hard because on the one hand, you can't change all the time. On the other hand, if something's not working, you need to change. Right. So how do you decide? That's, that's the judgment. That's the judgment of all these things. If I said to you, how does someone pick a good stock? You know, if there was a formula, you know, we'd all be Warren Buffett. But he, he doesn't have any tools that we don't have. Right. He's just better at doing
1: it. Mm.
0: You know, I can shoot a three-pointer and LeBron James can shoot a three-pointer. His goes in. <laughs> <laughs> Mine doesn't. But I can see what he's doing. I just can't do it. And right. in management, it's the same thing. And we've all worked for people in the past that you'd like to work for again. And then their examples were like, never again would I work for that
1: person. A hundred percent true. I mean, and I ask you that because, you know, I think it's it's a little bit different between from between men and women. I think women still, you know, when they lead, they want to be liked, still, right? So, or they're more lead by emotion, maybe. And, and I don't want to stereotype them, but that is true. So,
0: yeah, but you know, you know, but look, there's so many different styles that work. I mean, yeah. Think of the many CEOs or people you've worked for or followed
1: or interviewed or interviewed. Or, yeah
0: very different. And so I I don't think it's about one style at all. You know, there's some people who are more military command and control, but clear path. And that's fine. There are more very collaborative and it's great. You know, interestingly, out of my companies, out of seven companies, I have four uh, female CEOs. Wow. And we just looked at a survey the other day that out of the last, out of the uh, 580 companies that got series B funding in the internet space only 5% had female CEOs
1: wow hmm uh,
0: but there are many talented people out there and uh, that's I think- sad
1: I feel that's sad but yeah yep. but I mean I know those numbers are changing though
0: they're changing they're not changing as fast no um, and it's not as if you separate it between enterprise and consumer it's very different so in enterprise much more technical there are far fewer women right in consumer There are are many women now, increasing
1: number of women, and so I think that's great. Next week on Radiate. You're gonna like this podcast, I guarantee it. It's George Zimmer, the founder, former CEO, and pitchman for Men's Warehouse. Zimmer reveals what it was like to get sacked by the very company he created 40 years ago, and how the best revenge is coming back a bigger success. Thanks for joining us, I'm Betty Lou. If you liked what you heard, Please review us on iTunes and also don't forget to subscribe. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. See you next week on Radiate.